So welcome to the eighth episode of the Joseph M. Leather podcast. Today I'm with Rob from Integral Leather, based in Melbourne, Australia. Integral Leather creates dog leads, dog collars, belts, wallets, and with over 177,000 TikTok followers, has been able to sell all around the world. He also is the co-founder of Coastal Leather Supplier. Welcome, Rob. Hey, Joseph. Thanks for having me. That's, that's all good. Um, so how did you get into Leathercraft? Yeah, so I started in 2016. Um, I was at uni at the time, but waiting for a transfer into another course. So I was, had a lot of spare time on my hands and I just, my old man had made these key pouches for work. He's a train driver and they have these things called H key pouches and they just go in your belt and he was making them and selling them to people at work. And I, I needed a creative outlet. So I picked up some of his tools one day and just started making some um, leather bracelets and that kind of thing. Um, and that, they were pretty trash, but I, uh, I also, um, had adopted a dog a year earlier and she was sort of my life at this point, right? Like we just did everything together. I thought I'll make her a dog collar. That'd be pretty cool. So, um, I made her a dog collar and that was really the first major thing I made. I, um, made a couple more and got better. And when I was happy with them, someone actually asked if they wanted to buy one and, yeah, it sort of has led me to here years yeah. later. I know it's, it's incredible because, oh, man, it's because it's, I feel like Leathercraft got really popular 2018, 19, 20. So it's like back yep. in 2016, how are you like learning? Like, how are you? <laughs> yeah, uh, it was it was trial by error, really. Like, I just made mistake after mistake. Um, I still remember. The first one I made, like I put the buckle on backwards, like upside down. <laughs> Didn't even realize until I yeah. got to the end of it. Like just little things like that. Yeah. Um, the I obviously learned off YouTube a lot, but there weren't many guys out. I was actually, before we came on, I was listening to your last episode with, is it Lost Penguin? Yeah, Jesse. Yep. And Jesse actually probably had a similar story to me with, the people on YouTube we learnt from were yeah. really old school guys and, and not like it is now. Yeah. I know. I love talking to like people like pre-2018 because it's like, yeah. how did you guys even learn? Like, yeah, the, you can go on YouTube and it's just like saturated with burnishing, beveling, <laughs> everything. It's just... Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Like learning to, learning to saddle stitch, like, yeah. was the hardest thing ever. Like, I, it took me, nowadays it takes people six months to get a really good saddle stitch. For me, it took two and a half years, wow. like, the days, you know. It was early early mm. days of videography in yeah. leather. So, so, what leather did you use for that first belt? Like, was there a leather shop that you had to go to? Yeah, I went to Leffler's in Melbourne. Um, I'm oh, yeah. in Geelong, so a bit south, so it took oh. me 50 minutes to get there and... Um, went into Leffler's and they're like an old school Sadler's place. Like they're, they're very traditional there. Um, but I picked up a couple blanks from them and yeah, just went from there. I don't even know what it was. I don't know if it was veg tan or if it was yeah. chrome or. Yeah. Yeah. So then, well, cause you, cause I only recently found out when we started chatting that you own coastal leather supply as well. 
what made you? Because how how long has that been around for? What year did you establish that? Uh, we, we celebrated our first like wow, that's... quote unquote first year birthday the other day, but it's probably like a year and a half closer to. Yeah. So then, what made you decide to like open a like actual wholesale? Well, I guess I guess you're not wholesaling, but um. You know what I mean? Like make a business of... Just leather supplies. Yeah. yeah. Um, the challenges that I faced, I really didn't want other people to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my products are designed in a certain way because I had to sort of stumble through and figure it out myself using low quality leather and hard to find supplies and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want leather craft in australia to be the same thing like i know so many guys who started off really keen and really hot sort of 2017 early 2018 who fizzled out because there wasn't any support there like no network to get australia crafters started Mm -hmm. you wanted to be a cobbler or saddle maker there are plenty of places to do that but here doing stuff that you know big name guys like stock and barrel and little king goods do it's really difficult to get started so my goal was to try and ease that for people and make it the lower the barrier to entry for leatherworking. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point because when you do start off, you sort of start off with like crummy tools. I remember the I got like a number number three edge beveler and just like a... And you sort of have to go through that phase of realizing that your tools are pretty bad and you have to get good like new tools and if you can cut that first section away, it just makes it so much mm. easier. Even though like the, the tools might be expensive, but they're, they make a huge difference though. Yeah. And one thing I say to a lot of people is like the very first thing you make, or let's say the second thing you make, because the first thing you make is going to be throw away and it's going to be not very good. But the second and third and fourth thing you make, I always say invest in good quality leather because then you'll actually see whether or not it's the tools or whether or not it's you like using a soft piece of chrome tan is so much different to using a really perfectly made bit of veg tan from Italy. Like, Mm -hmm. and if you want to be there and you want to be selling premium products, start off with premium leather to learn from. And even if your stitching's a little bit off, you'll still have some really nice pieces um, that, you know, you can be proud of. Yeah. And I a perfect example of sort of what I'm trying to say is I use black uh, tokenol on the edges of all my straps. Mm-hmm. The reason I do that is because in Australia, getting belt leather that's good quality and consistent is really difficult. So what I use is a combination tanned. And if you use clear tokenol on this combination tanned leather, it doesn't look very good. So the black ink... <laughs> of the tokenol actually hides how not nice it looks. Now it's still good quality, like it's sealed and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not talking like mirror edge finish, like yeah. you might see on a high quality Italian strap. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you about that tokenol. It's like, for, since you brought it up, is that, so the black and brown, is that a dye? Like, would you have to put an edge yeah. paint on top of it or not really? Because I bought some from you guys. I bought the brown one. You didn't have the black one in stock. I bought the brown one. But I'm just wondering, do you have to right. apply a 
die on top of that? No, nah, it takes a couple of layers okay. and it depends on the color of what's underneath it too. Like yeah. it's not like an edge paint where it'll put like a film across and it just hides whatever's underneath. It's more like a dye in that yeah. it gets absorbed in. Yeah. So after a couple of layers, you'll get a more consistent color. Okay, yeah. So if I was to like, because I use a dye, like a water-based dye, if I was to dye it first and then put the token oil on, token oil on top, that's, that'll be fine? Or should you yeah, just use... should. Or should should you just, be. You have, to, you have to experiment. Yeah, yeah, so I'm good. Sure. But uh, yeah, I thought, thanks for reminding me because that was a way down question and I brought that up to the front. <laughs> yeah, because actually one of the things that I struggled with as well when I first got into it was, yeah, that was the first thing. The places where I was going to was that more traditional saddlery stuff. So I started off with kangaroo leather. And, yes. But what I found sort of like, and you sort of like, you get into it, and then you get out of it. You wasn't really like a solid point. But what I do like about a lot of the brands now is that they'll sell you like a little piece of leather. Like you can buy it per square foot. Like on your website, you can just buy, mm-hmm. you don't have to buy the full hide and then buy it and then realize, oh, I don't actually want this. So yeah, that was like looking at the price of leather was like such a slap in the face when I first started mm. thinking, oh no, I've got to buy a whole hide. Like, but you don't. Like I lived out of the Leffler's scrap bin for the first yeah. year and a half. Yeah. Like they just had kangaroo offcuts. And later on I realized the offcuts were offcuts from them making, um, I forget the proper name for it right now, but it's for whip making. Yeah, and they're just like stripping it down for whip making, and that's really what kangaroo leather is used for. But yeah. I was using it for wallets. Yeah, yeah. So, so how did your business? Well, then, so how did your? I'll backtrack a bit. So, how did your leather craft business? Because that come to be. So, two thousand sixteen. Um, um, yeah, it's sort of funny. Like I sort of stumbled into it. Like at my twenty first birthday, one of my mates was playing with my dog and looked at the collar and went, oh, that's cool. You know, I have a friend who will probably buy one. And then that's where I made my first ever sale. Um, and I was a personal trainer at the time and word got out that I was selling dog collars. So a couple of people, my clients bought it through that. Um, and then I heard of this website called Etsy and Etsy's massive now. It was pretty big then, but in Australia, pretty much unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, and I threw some stuff up there and they were and I don't know, I had high hopes thinking I'd make more sales on it than I did. <clears throat> and probably, I don't know, a, a month passed and I had no sales and I just completely forgot about it. But I didn't close down my store. I didn't even know that was something you had to do. And about six months later, someone messaged me out of the blue wanting to buy a dog collar on there. And that kind of sparked me to go, oh, Etsy could actually work. Um so that's when I went, okay, let's let's try and focus on improving. And then everything became focused on improving on Etsy. Yeah. Meanwhile, I was doing leather work as a hobby. So I kind of had two sides to my leather work. It was like the business side of my brain and then the, the leather work hobby side of my brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Uh, what, yeah, I know what you mean about the business side and the hobby side because you... There's, there's not a lot of leather crafting in the business side of it. It's the photography, it's the marketing, it's the, it's the, yeah. you know, even, I know I get the joy of just being able to do leather craft with like no cameras 
like just like what you were originally doing like back in the day it's yeah we uh well, making i'm working on some toiletry bags at the moment and I'm, I'm not particularly happy with how they're coming out but i just love sitting there and like nutting something out that i just didn't know where i was starting with and it took me back to when i first started leatherwork and i don't really know what i'm doing i'm yeah making up the template from scratch kind of thing and it's really fun it's like you said no cameras no posting to instagram or anything like that and just making yeah. it's quite enjoyable yeah because that, that's that's like where the like that's where you started from <clears throat> and it's good to yeah to go back to it and just yeah i want to i want to i think everyone's making toiletry bags now like i'm going to make one eventually in the in the near future oh yeah it's nuts i actually to get an idea of design i looked it up on etsy and there's just pages and pages of just insane yeah it's so saturated yeah but uh it obviously works if it's so so saturated yeah they're popular Yeah. yeah well i was um we went away as a family over the weekend and because i don't have a toiletry bag so I had to put everything, like all my shaving stuff, in like a Ziploc bag. So I was like, "Yeah, I need a toiletry bag." Yeah. So. No, that's what I normally do: Ziploc bags. So. Yeah. Put my toothbrush in a Ziploc bag. Just. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I want to go back. To, so. When did it? When did your leathercraft business like really, take off? Um. So last year at the start of 2020 by the end of 2019 actually I kind of said to myself look I'm heading into my last year at university and I'm going to step back on the leather craft side because it wasn't really getting a great deal of traction Um, so I'll step back on that front um, take it back to a hobby and then just focus on primary teaching that's what I was at uni for and but then I kind of, the sales kept trickling in after Christmas. Like I had this weird sort of post-Christmas continuation. Mm -hmm. um, And I kind of kept tinkering at it, tinkering at it. And I was always in the back of my mind. I was like, I can do primary teaching whenever I want, right? And then like whenever I want is in, whenever in my life. I could do it when I'm 50. I could do it when I'm 30. I can step into that whenever I want. Um, So I was kind of like, well, maybe let's, give Leathercraft another big push, see where it takes us. And I posted a video to TikTok and of me making a dog collar. And I think I got, I definitely got lucky in that I had my dog in some of the shots with me. And I think that sort of drags it on and yeah. get people interested. But that video ended up getting like four or 500,000 views. Yeah, it's crazy. And I just remember sitting there like seeing it go to like 5,000 and my mind was blown. And then an hour later, it was like 20,000. My mind was blown again. Like it was constant blowing my mind. Um, And all of a sudden my orders increased and I kept putting out videos. And at the same time I was working in disability support and some of my clients just drop off. That just happens in that field. And I kind of said, look, don't give me any more. I'm just going to focus on leather work. And there was this gray area there where I was sort of doing more leather work than support work. And then my final client dropped off at about September. And that's when I just went full time with leather work. Yeah. Like a lot of these social media platforms, they've like leveled the field, like especially the organic reach 
it's just leveled mm-hmm. the playing field so well amongst people. Yeah. And yeah, that's uh, that, like Instagram now. I remember two years ago when I was on Instagram, I had less than 100 followers and I was getting like 30 like likes on a picture I'd post. Now it's, you know, you're hardly to get like seven. Yeah. It's, uh, yep. cause it, it, I, it doesn't match up. And Instagram's so focused on like your branding now that everyone's just sick of being marketed to and sick of perfect branding. And that's why they kind of want other social medias like Facebook and now TikTok where it's a, can be a little bit more personable. Mm-hmm. And you can actually get to know your followers and get to know the person you're following. And it's a bit more of a back and forth. Whereas Instagram felt, started to feel a bit marketed. Yeah. And I know also, I think it's from that, like one of those movies where it talks about how, like you, like how the algorithm works as well as like you'll post something, but then they'll delay showing it for like a period of time. And then they'll like show it for like, so you'll, yep. you'll keep checking, but it won't, oh, it's just... Yeah, it's just a pain. Oh, the TikTok algorithms a funny thing actually. Like on, obviously that being my main social media platform, I focus on that a lot. And if there's anyone listening who's like wants to get into TikTok, the number one thing is keeping your viewers on your video for as long as possible. If you have a video that's fifty seconds long, and they switch off in five seconds it won't get pushed to even more people. So TikTok starts off and they push it to like 200 people. And then if a lot of those people are switched on and they're engaged, and let's say the average view time is 10 seconds, it'll get pushed to 2000 people. And it just grows from there. Like, so they just, it passes these gates basically. And every gate it passes through, it gets sent to more and more people. And that's why the organic reach on TikTok is better than places like Instagram because Instagram, you just get who you follow. And sometimes you don't even get who you follow. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm a bit, I'm a bit skeptical, but like I use my, I use another phone for tip. Like most of those people buy your stuff or. Funny, like a lot changes, but not a lot changes in the same way. Um, Like I get more orders, but. Like I was getting more orders like probably August last year was when I peaked off getting orders through TikTok. And now it seems like I don't get that many orders through TikTok. Um, Even though my monthly video views has increased. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really sure what's going on now. I have a feeling initially when people go, it's new and it's exciting, they buy from you. And then after that, once they've bought something, you'll never see them again kind of thing. Yeah. Or, you know, you only retain very few customers sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. The, I think I was able to get lucky in a way that Etsy saw more people visiting my page and Etsy went, wow, R- Rob's sending all these people to his page. We're getting all these extra hits. We'll rank him higher in the Etsy search rankings at the same time. So it had like a double knock-on effect for me. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of what sustains me now is that the sales on Etsy. Like I don't even have my own website. Everything points to Etsy for me. Yeah, I was going to – I know it got me interested because when I saw your – like you click on your link on your TikTok and then it takes you to – I was like, he doesn't have a website? Like, 
Yeah. Why is that? Is it just because? Well, yeah, it's very expensive. Like I did have a website um, because everyone says you've got to have your own place on the internet and that kind of thing. But trying to keep track of Etsy and a website at the same time was a nightmare when I was getting one order a week and mm-hmm. just trying to keep the, like if I change the photos on Etsy, I have to go and change them on the website. So everything becomes twice as much work. Yeah. Um, and so I decided to get rid of it because I wasn't getting the sales on my website that I was compared to my Etsy. Um, so I just cut off the one that was doing worse. That was my website. Yeah. And then I just, I haven't, I've just decided not to bring it back. Um, yeah. I am thinking about doing another one, but it won't sell products. It'll just be like a landing page. Um, but, you know, I'm happy with just having Etsy and having my TikTok and my Instagram. They're my three things, really. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, so that map, because I remember on your TikTok, you had that, that video where you show like your map of like all the countries you've like sold to. Uh, Oh, yeah, yep. Yeah, how does that... that right you got that right behind you. How does that... <laughs> yeah. I don't know, like, what goes through your head when there's, like, all these people around the world that you know, want your stuff? Oh, it's... Initially, like, it's mind-blowing. Like, you're like, wow, this is so cool. Like, and there's always hurdles mentally to get through. Like, me not being someone who's creative, I'm a sports person like growing up, I didn't do anything with my hands. I didn't do anything creative. So the first time somebody said to me, like at my 21st birthday, they said, Hey, I've got a mate who want to buy one of these. That blew my mind that someone would care enough to just buy one of these, um, that it was good enough for somebody to want it. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, the next thing was that first message I got from someone on Etsy wanting to buy something, that blew my mind that someone over in like Perth or somewhere, they were still in Australia, but they wanted to buy something. And then you just don't think like your mind is blown constantly every step of the way. And it's just the same. It's the same feeling. You know, the first time you sell something to a friend, it's the same feeling as when you sell it to someone in France, like it blows your mind every time. Yeah. Oh no! Is that's, that's that's amazing. Because this is your full time job, I just want to know like, because you don't know what's going to happen in like a month or two months. Like, because you're paying your bills, does that future bother you? Like, do you look like six months down the road and it's like, man, like, how am I going to sustain this? Like, how do you? You do look at it, man. What like, yeah? How do I sustain this? Or how do I sustain myself? But you, you need to look at everything positively. Like say, okay, this is my baseline of sales from right now. This is what I'm doing. And then what can I do to just level that up? You don't look at what if this disappears. You look at what if this gets better. Um, for me, Coastal is, Coastal Weather Supply is one of those things that I'm trying to grow to be a little bit more passive because I found that I'm basically at my capacity for making stuff each week mentally. Um, I don't think I could take on more orders and still love leatherworking. Um, yeah. Now, I definitely have more time to do leatherworking, but it's it would just feel like a job. 
and it felt like a job before Christmas. And I made enough money over the Christmas period, but I knew that wasn't sustainable and I budgeted out and I know that I've got sort of like six months budgeted out just from what we made over the Christmas period to keep paying myself. So that's good. That gives me six months to build even further upon. And now I can focus on coastal. I look at the fact that I'm not getting many orders now because it's the start of the year and everyone's in that boat. I look at that and I go, well, now how can I upgrade coastal and improve coastal? Mm-hmm. Or the other thing I'm working on right now is I'm trying to combine my support work history because I did that for four or five years and absolutely loved it. I'm trying to figure out how now I can combine that with my leatherworking and I'm planning on having guys with high-functioning autism or Asperger's and things like that to come into the workshop and actually work together and develop skills together but also like a mentorship for making money from home. And that's like my next step for Integral is to add that to the site, like business, and then also to keep developing Coastal. And then long-term, my goal is to turn this thing into something passive. So I would actually love to hire one of these guys who is forced to go work at a supermarket and hates it because it's social and he hates doing social things. And instead, he can come in and work in the workshop with me and sell his things. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to then hand over the business. So long-term, that's my goal um, is to give back in that way. And... You know, it's just rolling with the punches, I guess, and yeah. going back to what you're saying, now that it's your full-time job and worrying about what's up next is I just don't worry about what's up next. Yeah, you know, I just look to build constantly. Yeah. I like that mindset, actually. And I like how you're very, like, very focused as well. It's not like, um, it's sort of like it's a stepping stone to something else. <clears throat> it's not like flatlining, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not a very content person. Like I'm definitely ambitious, but in the same regard, I want to be content. So I've got this constant battle between like appreciating what I have right now in a leatherworking business, but also wanting to force myself to make the most of every opportunity I can. Mm-hmm. So you do this, you just do this at home or your stuff. Yep. So, um, so how, so how's, how's your work? your schedule go like how do you um yeah poorly um i i this year i started off and said to myself i'm going to do an hour in the morning on coastal every day that's my goal and then monday tuesday thursday i'm going to work on integral just pumping out orders it's pure doing orders and then the last hour of the day is working on um the business aspect of things Mm -hmm. and then wednesday and friday um i'm leaving for other opportunities so that might be developing a new product that might be improving photos on my listings um might be working with a support company to bring guys in and work with them. That's kind of how the split works. Mm-hmm. I think I did that for two weeks, and it's gotten a bit blurry. Yeah. So, have you thought about like hiring someone if you're so 
flat out. Um, in terms of hiring someone, I'm concerned about uh, their ability to produce products. Like you have to train them up. And then the other thing is like it, it starts to cut your profit margin really tight. And that concerns me as well because that then means that, well, maybe I don't have that six-month buffer. Maybe that's only two months. Yeah. Like, um, that's why I want to bring in, I want to start off doing support work where it's, you know, it's like you, you're paid by the government to do that work and it pays ludicrously generously. Like it's too much. I feel bad. But then I actually want to get to a point where I say, how would you actually like to work for me? And instead of you paying me, I pay you mm -hmm. and you produce your own products and sell them and that kind of thing. And I, I just, yeah, that's the, I think that's the way I want to go into hiring someone, not just hiring someone out of the blue kind of thing. Yeah. 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 I thought about, um, I, I had a thought of like, if I could hire someone, which I probably I absolutely could not do that right now, but it's like, how would you go about it? It's like, send like a bunch of videos this is like learn this and then like it's oh it's so complicated all of a sudden you're worrying about super and oh dude like <laughs> insurance yeah oh. this, when you have like all these extra things that goes into your product mm. like it's yeah yeah it's just it's especially when you're competing with a competing world as well like people want to save money so they'd rather get it cheaper and made overseas rather than buy something that's handmade but pay twice or three times the price for it yes. which is which is it's ironic that i'm saying this to in a leatherworking podcast where that's you know what we sell to yeah it's kind of like two sides of the spectrum it's like you can go you can either go like full bespoke where like you attract that like tiny niche people that will spend like huge amounts, but it's a very small market or you have to try and, you know, then you have the opposite side, which is like, you know, sell for like nothing. It's uh, you sort of have to try and find your right spot. Yeah. And probably speaking more to the, the business model side of integral leather is I've always tried to do things as cheap as possible, but still as quality and functional as possible. Yeah. So all my designs are simple. I let the leather speak for itself. Uh, I really try to be understated, but I use that as a way to keep my prices low. So before when I mentioned using combination tanned belts, I do that because this combination tanned leather that I get is still a really good quality. It's going to hold your pants up for the rest of your life. And I can sell them at $70 Australian as opposed to going and getting a veg tan and, you know, it's some fancy Italian thing that I have to sell for $150. Like I've, because there's other people who do that and don't get me wrong, if I was buying a belt and I had the money, I'd be buying that veg tan one. But that's just not my market from a business perspective. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you something, but I completely forgot what it was. Um, oh, man. It's annoying because, like, as you speak, I think of something and then I just completely forgot it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, 
Oh yeah, that's what it was. What is what is a combination tan? Because I know what. It... Yeah. Um, oh, I forget what the Americans call it. Um, yeah, it's got a name in America that you've probably more likely heard of, but it's it's veg tanning and chrome tan mixed together. So wow. I believe it's like I believe it's a bit of a wild west where it's it's like an umbrella term and combination tan could be anything, but yeah. I'll look it up. Anything that uses both, it's not necessarily 50-50. Um, for example, the belts I use or the, the hide I use for my belts, recently they changed their method and it's leaning more towards veg tan now. So whereas it used to probably be probably be about 50 chrome, 50 veg, it's now more like 70 veg and 30 chrome. And, you know, these are arbitrary numbers in terms of, they're not pouring in, you know, 30 grams of chrome and 70 grams of veg. I just mean like that when I'm using it, that's how close it feels like it is to veg tan okay. these days. Yeah. Do you... Okay. What's your opinion on bridal leather? <sighs> yeah, I don't know. It has a place, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not too... Um, I'm definitely not a uh, like a purist, but I'm also not like anti-purist where like you were talking before about bespoke leather people, like people who make fully handmade stuff and they'll sell a purse for $2,000. Like I love that. That's amazing. But I don't feel like everyone has to strive for that. For me, I'm at a place where I don't try to – I'm not – studying three hours every day to improve my craft because I'm quite content with where I am. I keep looking for improvements, of course, but um, I just think what I'm providing is good enough for the price I'm providing it at. And sometimes I just focus a little bit more on the business rather than the art side of things. So I don't know, you know, if it works for you, it works for you. That's. I'm thinking of going to the Italian leather. How do you pronounce it? But Rito, whatever it is. I actually had an argument with uh, my business partner. He probably doesn't think it was an argument. In my mind, it was an argument. He's Canadian, right? And I used I because, you know, I watched YouTube videos back when there was no, no YouTube videos to watch on things. So I had never heard what it was called. I called it buttero for the first like That's two exactly and a half what years I called it. My leather working. Yeah. He called it Butero and then he was adamant it's called Butero. So now that's what I call it. Okay. Sounds like burrito, the burrito leather. Yeah, I know. Right? Like, the tannery is isn't named that. It's named like Cus. I don't know what it is. Kind of area Yeah, that one. Yeah. Probably butchering that, honestly. So, yeah, what's that leather leather like? Because I've ordered some from you. Is it? Because mm. I found that this bridal leather that I was using, it was so hard to skive. Like using a French edger on it was like so hard to use what's the yeah. italian stuff like well particularly the butero or butter or whatever we're going to call it um it's it's awesome like it's 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 fantastic in terms of you can make some beautiful pieces out of it but it does scratch easily on the top um okay. so i've found when for me if i make a wallet out of it my wallet sits in my pockets and it gets a really nice rub and patina on it. 
However, when I made one for my partner, she puts a wallet in her bag and it shakes around in her bag with her keys and all sorts of stuff. And I found that Butera gets these sort of ugly scratch marks on it. It is a really awesome leather and it's beautiful to use for skiving and that. But um, I don't know, it's not very like resistant on the top. It takes a beating. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, because there was a bridal leather that I was using and it was doing the exact same thing. Like I, I made my mum a long wallet and it was like trashed from being in her bag. Like, yep. It looked terrible. And then, <clears throat> but this bridal leather, it doesn't scratch as e- easy. So yeah, it's just the... It's, I it's found such... there's a few other Italian tanneries. Um, like if you get Picos, that's pretty <laughs> resistant. And Dakota is a little bit less resistant, sits between the two mm-hmm. of Butera and Picos. Um, but Butera is only, from what I understand, as popular as it is because it sort of went viral on Instagram in the leatherworking world. And I think that's where it, it developed initially from. Yeah. Whereas these other leathers haven't. So it's not necessarily that Butera is better than them. It's just sort yeah. of, you know, it hits social media first. Yeah. I was going to go on your website. So, which ones? Because, yeah, because when I, as I said, when I first went over to your website, I was like, why do they have all these, like, leathers that I've never, ever heard of Yeah. before? Like, is how did you go about choosing leather? Um, so, originally, it was Byron um, worked on bringing stuff in, and I worked on sending stuff out. Yeah. Um, so, he, we are limited in that we kind of, we have a connection over in um, Europe that he's a distributor as well and we get a lot of our stuff through him. So sometimes it's just what he's getting that month. We'll pick a little bit up and we'll see if it sells in Australia. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Australia is just not there yet. As a leather community, we are the the young guys who are uh, – like they're excellent, as we were saying before, like people in six, six months' time have this beautiful saddle stitch and all this kind of stuff. Um, but they're not full-time yet. But eventually they'll develop and they'll become full-time. They'll want to experiment with more leathers and we'll be able to get in a few more obscure ones that will hopefully sell quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess that's uh, from the perspective of the coastal leather supply, we're trying to support the growth of of the Australian leatherwork community by offering as many options as possible. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's that's a similar what Aaron said to me about how like the Australia like yeah, we are quite behind in, a, in Australia. Like Crazy. it's uh So what is the what's this one? This leather. Pueblo? Yeah. That's another one. I I used to call it something else. I can't even remember now. And then same thing, Byron's like, no, I mean, it's, it's Pueblo. But, um, and that one threw me off too, because that's also, um, I looked up what the word is. And I think there's like a Native American group called that. And I'm like, it's so random that an Italian tanner is using that for a name. But that stuff's awesome, but it's a little bit softer, um, has a looser grain on the back. And it's got that awesome texture on the top, which almost, from afar, it almost looks suede, but it's not. It's yeah. still smooth. 
Yeah, I'm looking at that, that stuff's awesome. Like I always recommend that to people to start with. Like it's hmm. forgiving. Doesn't scratch as easily. Nah, kind of it it's designed to wear in a more rugged sense, whereas Butero is designed to be very pristine. Yeah. The thing about leather, like, it's just like a rabbit hole. Like, <laughs> yep. you just get dragged down it. Yeah, it's it's a huge topic. And everyone, like, some things will, people will state stuff as if it's fact when that's more like opinion. Like, I'm sure I've done it in this podcast already where I've said something as if it's a fact. It's really just an opinion. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem is, like, everyone you talk to that's supposed to be an expert there's no clear consensus on so much stuff. Like probably what I said about combination tan leather, there'll be someone who comes out and is, you know, oh, that's wrong because of da 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 da. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's... You kind of have to get it in your hands and play with it, don't you? Yeah. Even the yeah. Even it says I just typed in that leather doesn't scratch easily, and it says yeah, it scratches quite easily with abrasion, the oils from your hand, yeah. Oh, it says the scratches will begin to fade as the leather darkens and is further polished by use. It's yep. also what you're comparing it to. Like, it, like I've got this stuff that's chrome tanned that is impenetrable. That like, like it blunts my knife when I cut it. So I was using it for desk mats because it's just so hardy and resistant. Yeah. So it's it's what you compare it to as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'll de- when I get you that leather, I'll definitely make a wallet with it and try and scratch it up to see how it goes. Yeah, I'll be intrigued to see. Like, I, I hadn't thought about it sort of fading out over time either. Yeah. Well, I was looking at, um like, Rocky Mountain because they sell, like, tons of that, like, all the different colors of it. And it was, like, five stars on the on the on their website. Trying You sell that... that Edge Beveler, the Palo, Palo, Santo? Palo Santo. Palo Santo. What's that like to bevel on thin leather? Because I have an Edge Beveler and anything under, uh, like, I don't know, two to two to three ounce, probably around about two to three ounce, it's, it's hard to bevel. Like, it's, it's pretty tough. How yep. does that Palo Santo go? I thought I'd ask. Uh, it's, if you got the number zero, it just glides through it so, um yeah the the number one thing is keeping it sharp um yeah if it's the thinner your leather gets the less room for error there is like i can't tell you the amount of times i've like ruined the card pocket from having a blunt beveler and I, yeah. I know too like i know in my mind i shouldn't be using that beveler because it's blunt but i do it anyway and then i ruin the, the card but um yeah, the Palisanto is unreal. And that's probably the biggest thing about them is their um, sharpening value. So sharpen up really well, whereas lower quality leather, you, you can't sharpen it as well. Yeah. And do you use the, like you get a piece of thread tight to a nail and just like strop it up and down the blade? Ah, no, I haven't heard of that one actually. Oh, What's that? You? How does that work? So you just get you just get like a piece of thread and you just yep. you can tie it to a handle or like a nail, and then you put some jeweler's rouge on it, and then you just um, pull the, you slide it through, like you strop it through there. Yep. Oh, that's such a good idea for the the thinner ones. What, yeah. What I do is I get um, 
my bit of leather that I use for stropping, I rub it on the edge where you would. So normally where you would take that edge off, instead of pushing forward, I run the backwards. That's a nice one. Over it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's only doing one side of the blade in that case. Whereas with the string, I'm guessing you could probably, I'd have to look into it. Or maybe not with the curve, but I guess you could maybe turn it over and strop the other side of the blade even as well. Yeah, it's an awkward angle because it's like you have to sort of go like that sort of thing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, see, I, so I just use the edge and then when I'm sharpening, I just have like this little metal rod that I stick sandpaper on mm-hmm. and run it over that. That's how I sharpen mine. But I don't even use Palisanto because I don't no? do um, high-end fancy stuff personally. I just have a Camoven Craft one okay. that I use. Yeah. It, it looks, they look the same. Like they have the... Yeah. I, I use the, the Weaver the weaver one but i found that it doesn't have that like it doesn't go like that it's more of like a square like so when it gets thin the it um it like touches the marble like but the blade won't touch the leather yes yeah i've been there with that yeah so i've actually recently or probably a year now i've just started only skiving the backside of thin leather leather so that the front you know, is like looks normal, but then it's still got that radius on the back to slide cards in. Oh, right, do you use um? So that's how I do. You use a French edger? No. Nah. Oh, you should get the nah, French. Slows me down too much. It's, oh, so you actually just just like like this is you go. So I was gonna say, so do you um? So with your you're talking about tea pockets? No, nah, no, nah, just with like a a regular pocket. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. I can't, I can't even show you, but just the top edge, not like this bit you stitch. I don't do tea pockets at all, actually. No. Under normal circumstance. You, I have oh, you, a, you do the slits, don't you? Yeah, there's like a ribboning method with, um, which I use, which is it actually comes back to what we we're talking about earlier, where I didn't really have as many resources to learn from. So I learned to make my wallets with this ribboning technique where you're folding fabric or leather up to create a bottom for the card to sit in. It's yeah. very, very difficult and confusing to explain, even in person. Um, but it's like I didn't do tea, tea pockets for the first like two years of leather work. Yeah. Yeah, because every time I've seen people, like when I've seen the slits, it's like how do they like make the cards like stop without it just falling like straight through to the bottom yeah yeah okay. it's, it's easily explained as a diagram probably but no hope yeah over like a call <laughs> yeah no that's fair enough there's probably a youtube video out on it anyway yeah well this is the thing is i went back to try and find the one that i learned it off and i couldn't find it because there's all these new videos now and they they're all talking about um, tea pockets. Yeah. So what's it called? What's the technique? Ribboning. Ribbon, ribboning. I've, so I couldn't remember the video. Okay. I called it in there, but I saw someone on Reddit refer to it as ribboning. Okay. So I just mentioned that. Okay. Oh, fair enough. Um, 
Wow, so none, none of your wallets have tea pockets. No, I keep oh. it simple. It slows me down too much. Like I'm, wallets are not my method of making money. They are still the hobby side of integral leather. Like whenever I get an order for a wallet, it feels like a hobby because it takes so long that if I was to break that down into hour and materials, and it, I'm not making enough money off it. Yeah. So it is very, it is quite laborsome. It is, yeah, but it's it's beautiful. It's so fun. What um what uh, stitching chisels do you use? KS. Yeah, what are yeah. KS blades like? Because I, I've heard about them. Because I got mine when I didn't know what I was doing with them, so I've absolutely bullied them. Um, but they've got these really fat heads on them. Yeah. And Martin Carswell sort of clicked something in my brain. I went to drop off some leather to him about this time last year, and we got chatting, and he's an absolute expert. And he was saying, hey, he doesn't like KS because the fat head means he can't see if your teeth are angled or not. And I'd been struggling with the backside of my stitch work. And I went back home and I really got down on eye level and had a look and realized that my blades had been angled whenever I've been punching them. So I've done thousands of punches all angled incorrectly, um, just tilting the handle to the left or right. And that's like, it's one of those beginner things. Like as a beginner, you wouldn't even think of that. Mm -hmm. But when you're trying to perfect it, you realize that there's that downfall to them. Did you, did you say, what was his name? Was it Martin Carswell? Yeah, Martin Carswell. Yeah, I'm talking to him next week. Oh, are you? Oh, mate. He's, you know what I was saying before? Like, there's people who sit in the camp of, like, bespoke perfectionism. Yeah, I, know. I, I, I love it. I that love is it. him. He is, like... He's unbelievable. Like, I'm, he makes me want to quit when I see his work. It's oh, like, yeah. I, could, I can't. I just can't be like that. I love it. That's I, like, I love that bespoke. Um, I love that English, like the English yes. classic style. And, yeah. Um, yeah I'll, have you ever thought of um, pricking, pricking irons? Wait, wait, actually rewind. Do you have to, sh do you have to strop those blades or not? Or uh, We'll probably should nice. but I, I don't okay <laughs> yeah I don't yeah yeah have you thought about pricking irons like doing you should or reverse pricking um nah no. I don't know I'm not kind of at that stage like I said before where I think I've gotten enough out of saddle stitch where I don't um I don't care to perfect my saddle stitch yeah any more than I already have because the time spent doing it is not worth the money for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree with the the two different the two two different camps that um that you you fall fall under. I know it's it's sort of similar to. Uh, I remember I was like I'm into suits, like bespoke yes. suit making all that, and it's sort of the same thing. Like you sort of have like made to measure, then you have like the fully fully like bespoke. Um, stuff and this like the purists and like the other people. So I sort of I can, I can uh I know what you mean, but yeah, it's yeah. it's the thing that I guess there's there's pros and cons to both because you know it's yeah it's sort of which one do you prefer? Like there's pros and cons of of both of them. Yeah, so, absolutely. 
And like for Martin, he's made it work. You know, he has people who come to him regularly for they know exactly what he does and they want the best of the best. Personality-wise, going back to how I'm traditionally a sports person and didn't do anything with my hands, like just putting a buckle on the right way it was a struggle for me at the start. I couldn't dare think of perfecting something to where I'm one of the best in the country at doing yeah. it because that's where you have to get to to be able to do what he does. And the so for me, I push my skills in a different direction where I don't necessarily have to be perfect at what I do, but I still provide value to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, man, I'm like, seriously, when I say I've got no talent, it almost irks me when other people go, oh, I've got no talent. I'm like, no, you you have a little bit. I literally, everything I've got, I've had to practice before I got half decent at it. And I'm definitely like a dive in head first, do it wrong 20 times, but get better every time than a, you know, do it once and perfect it kind of yeah. thing. But I guess that's a good thing because you sort of, you appreciate it, like the skills that you have learned. Yeah, I guess, yeah. So, yeah, like, I was sort of similar. Like, during school, I was, like, all about sports and and all that sort of stuff. And I would never have thought that I would have gotten to leather work. It's just, yeah, yeah. So, for, so foreign to me, like, as when I was growing up. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, so. No, nah, I think, like, when I, when I finished year 12, I never would have thought I'd be, you know, doing leather work like or doing anything crafty like that yeah exactly i think when you yeah i think when you associated craft people with like people who did, who did art class and yep you know where do you get those boxes from you don't like these yeah um He's fine, i get right? them off a company look i just type them in on ebay and oh, there's yeah. a company I don't mean to order from them every time, but they must have a monopoly on boxes on eBay because it's always this box more company. And I've literally got like all of Coastal's boxes and all of Integral's boxes come from there. Yeah. And they're, they're amazing. Their service is just bang on. So there's a reason they've got the monopoly. So what do you... What do you... I've got a ballet tray. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's like, so all the stuff that I, like makes me an actual business is nothing particularly complicated at all. Like When you first started in like 2016, did you find, I found this was hard in 2018, but to find like tiger thread and fillet, fillet schwa thread was even like, I remember tiger thread, that was like hard to find. Man, it was nuts. Like, it was crazy. I bought some, like, off-brand tiger thread from Leffler's thinking it was, like, proper tiger thread. But, yeah, it was so hard to get. Yeah. Um, and now we're actually probably going to stock some at Coastal shortly. No, th- thank you, Rob, for, for coming on. I really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me.